Welcome to the YOT Project, a podcast that helps you define and create success on your own terms. Each week, we and our inspiring guests share stories, personal and professional challenges, and lessons learned to help you move closer to the best version of yourself. Let's dive in. Listeners, welcome to the YOT Project's Women Founder Series, where we talk to inspiring female founders and entrepreneurs across Southeast Asia about the highs and lows of building a company and the mindset you need to create your own success story. Today, we welcome Suvita Jaranwong, co-founder and CEO of Telscore, Southeast Asia's leading influencer marketing automation platform that lets marketers work with influencers directly. Before running her own startup, Suvita has also been running her own digital marketing agency as well. And today, she's going to share with us her story, the mindset she used to overcome the challenges she faced along her journey. Hi, Kun Suvita. How are you? Hi. Hi, nice to meet you, Kunala, everybody. Hi, first of all, thank you so much for your time um, coming as our our guest. We really appreciate it. We know that you're very busy with the conference and everything. Yeah, um, it's been a great journey. Let's let's say that, yeah. For our listeners who are not in Thailand and might not be familiar with Telscore yet, can you tell us a little bit more about your story? Telscore as a company... So we've been around eight years and um, what we're doing is um, a platform that actually enables influencer creators, uh, whoever who you know does content on social media to connect with brands. And it's also designed to actually help uh, manage and you know the hiring process manage the influencer campaign. In the end, um, what it does, it delivers marketing performance such as you know video views from TikTok, from YouTube or sales conversion from you know this you know actually very competitive market in um, marketing, uh, what do you call like affiliated marketing? Yeah, so it delivers e-commerce conversions. It delivers, you know, lead generations, marketing uh, objectives. Thank you. Wow, I think I think if we're talking about um, affiliation marketing today, it might sound very uh, common because um, we see affiliation marketing everywhere. But you said that you've been around for eight years. So eight years ago, how did you come to this? idea of you know micro nano um, influencer yeah. as a whole market when it wasn't a thing yet this is like my second um, you know like venture so the first venture we did a marketing agency so without any tools without any SaaS um, yeah so we talked to clients and we you know implement um, influencer marketing we implement um, other types of um, digital marketing and then we found that you know it's um, a trend that people listen to brand less and less yeah, so we have to find spokesperson. Uh, back in the day, we didn't don't even call them, you know, KOL or you know, like um, yeah, we we still call them public figure. Yeah, so we were reaching out to these people on behalf of the brands to the consumers. We don't have anything to show the clients that these people will actually bring you know um, sufficient viewership to the brand. Um, social listening, um, dedicated for you know listening to people on internet. In terms of what they produce as a voice, um, yeah, or bus. So yeah, it's public data, so we don't um, need to access any private data. It's just how much they produce, you know, after they talk to the people on social media. And then yeah, we started out this um, platform, 
Uh, we named it Telescore, yeah, and that's how we actually started our second venture. I bet it was very difficult managing both in the beginning of Telscore, <laughs> both have, uh, having to grow the existing digital market, uh, market digital marketing agency. I always get it switched, <laughs> and then also growing Telscore and start building the the software. How how did you manage that in the beginning in the beginning of the period? And I guess the hardest part is how did you come up with that conviction or confidence mm-hmm. that you know, this is going to be something that can be big. And so um, spending, it's worth spending your time building that up. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So I guess like it's um in the beginning, it's, you know, we haven't really thought about, you know, creating a new venture or anything, but we needed to upgrade our tools. So that's just how it started. And then uh, it became so successful that we had to kind of like, you know, think about, um, you know, this is actually like very different. Um, this is actually a new model. This is, you know, clients or anything around it, like the supply chain around the software um, is is um, is going to be, you know, very different. Are we going to focus on this venture or are we going to focus on the, you know, the old venture on being like a service company and having just this kind of like platform as an add-on? So we decided, yeah, it was a difficult decision. So we actually really decided to close the first company and then really recruit recruit new people to join the yeah the Telescore venture. It it was a hard um, decision. We asked our team, um, which of you guys are going to join us in the new venture? Um, some of the skill sets might not. You have to learn new things, basically. Yeah, and there are some skill sets that probably like you know doesn't fit uh, you know a few at all. So unfortunately, we have to let a few people go at the time. Yeah, so it was a hard decision because of that as well. Was it like a leap of faith? Because you have, you know, plenty of clients on your hands since you've been operating uh, for a very long while. And then you have this new software that you feel like, oh, it's it's kind of work. Like what's what's the tipping point that make you mm-hmm. decide like, hey, I'm going to close this this old venture because this is going to be huge. Yeah. Do you have that conviction or? or I, I think how? that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point in terms of like, uh, you know, the the business um, has to be proven, right? And um, we proved that through the clients, as you mentioned. Um, yes, we have a lot of clients from the first venture. And then we test those clients, you know, into the second venture. That's that's the beauty. That's the advantage that we had. Yes. Um but the truth be, be told that we could probably only migrate about like 5% of the clients. Yeah, because the old clients are really addicted to the service, the full service that we gave. And now we're kind of like to put kind of like, you know, I don't know, um, show them, you know, the self-service, the SaaS side of the business, right? And not a lot of them, you know, are willing to to do everything on their own. They don't actually, they don't have a team to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we did a hybrid model in the beginning yeah try to save as much clients as we could yeah and tell them oh okay you don't have, really have to self-service on our platform yet we can do kind of like a babysitting period that um, we help them and in the end we we secure about five six percent of the clients but that's a good you know proof to us that's oh my god this is you know how the the face of the clients that will look like in the future we show this to our team that's actually the conviction like um the confidence came from actually when the team believes. Yeah, not so much when the client believes because it's it's actually easier for the clients, the 5% to, to migrate with than to kind of like to convince the existing team and the new team 
to believe in this new startup. I think it's really interesting that you have this transition period between um, being an SME and and just slowly transition into being a startup. And now looking looking from the outside, Telscore is like a you know a very tech company with technology behind. We wouldn't imagine that you have this transition period where you go in hand in hand with your client to to just transition them. From from both experience being an SME and also a startup founder. Do you have to use a different mindset in order to manage the company in the start? When um, when you were running your, your agency and then you transitioned to your startup? Definitely. I think the automation business um, really requires us to automate like the process too. Yeah. So we really have to look into, you know, the, um, actually I, 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 you know, went into studying some of the ISO, trying to write a, what it's called like you know work instructions like you know in factories like you do this and then the next person do that and you know like to slice things into different tasks and that's you know a, a, such a big shift for us all in the end we didn't you know quite follow the iso or the kind of like the, the manual but we know that we automate a lot of things much better it's actually very benefit the company it's probably going to benefit even the old venture ha- has it exists still so we, you know, the job roles are now very precise and crisp. The recruitment is better because of that. Um, people are not working late. You know, agency lifestyle in Asia, as you know, we, we work until 10 p.m., 11 p.m., no work-life balance. <laughs> yeah. But with this, I see the immediate effect that everybody went home 6 o'clock. Everybody was happy. But the eight hours that we spent together is much, much more intensive. And not a lot of people like that. So um, the HR, you know, the recruitment process as a whole has really shifted the breed of people that we invited in. So they really have to be their, their own boss. They really have to take care of their own, you know, eight hours. We have to be able to trust them. You said that 5% of the clients switch, right? And I'm pretty amazed that uh, one of the things you said was the first sign of conviction was the team's belief in the product rather than the client, uh, mm-hmm. which really demystify my belief that you actually need to prove product market fit with clients first. Uh, that's a good change uh, and insights for that. In terms of client growth, um, was it difficult to... like? Was there any challenge growing the client base uh, and figuring out who your the persona of the new client would be, how to onboard them into this new SaaS platform? Like, can you tell us more about the journey behind that? I think we we went into the business a little bit different than than a majority of the startups because like we have such an experienced team on board with us already, right? So that's why we needed to convince um, the experienced team, the performance of you know like the team to to join us. And, and that's, but that's, you know, working the benefit of for the company because it makes us, you know, what do you call, more fluent in terms of convincing the clients, yeah, because we have such an experienced team on board already. So they know already, you know, how to tackle new clients. They, they know us from the culture basis, you know, back in the days, they just have to uh, change the product. So, yeah, they know the clients, they know corporate uh, language. Um, a lot of the clients that we work with are corporates. Back in the days, we don't really know how to sell to SME yet. Yeah, it's a whole different, you know, like strategies, right? So we were very good with um, corporate client clients already. I think that was not a big challenge. But then there was a um, challenge uh, after, you know, like probably six to eight months 
when we need it for them to repeat by. So we want this, you know, like cohort effect or we want to, um, yeah, repeat percentage to grow. That's another strategy. So, so I think we struggle more in terms of making the repeat buy rather than the recruit. So it brought us cash. It brought us, you know, cash flow. So it was good for the business. Yeah, stretched the runway of the company for, you know, more than 24 months. We have a little bit of time to breathe. And then, you know, we solve the problem on how can we um, attract the clients to repeat buy. And not, not, so, not, not by promotion, of course, by to really have them see the value and the involvement in terms of running. You know, you cannot stop doing marketing, right? That's the kind of like the philosophy behind how we convince the client. Once you stop marketing, what is there to ensure, right? But then we have to deliver a marketing KPI for them too. They have to actually being able to sell the business, I mean, sell the products or, you know, grow their business. Meaning that um, the team is already an expert. So being able to convince the team, it's like being able to convince the expert uh, to use your product first, right? And they become your advocate for the product. And it's great to hear that um, the clients are willing to, that was initial problem of uh, stretching the runway and trying to get them to repeat by, but, but at the end, it sounds like you were able to figure out how to, how to overcome that challenge. Is yeah. there anything that's keeping you at night while growing the startup? Oh, definitely. Like, you know, we were blessed with the team that we mentioned, but the truth be told, like we lost the whole team after the third year. Yeah. So the entire sales team that I thought, you know, this is kind of like the bread and butter of the company. There are newer startups. People are moving to bigger companies once they are really, you know, like good at what we do. And they realize that this is kind of like the template of all the startups out there. So if they are received well in our company, if they perform well in our company, they would also perform well in, you know, the leading e-commerce platforms, the leading delivery platforms. So now what do we do? We have a lot of great profile clients and newbies sales, <laughs> right? So that's a big challenge. So I became uh, the sales for the time being. I became the head of sales because we have such a new team on the sales and yeah, the client service side. That's the struggle. So those days are hard for me. It's a kind of like you could actually, the company could actually collapse, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't allow that. So I'm there, my co-founder there and other senior team in the company who are not sales team, um, switch roles to help the team. Kind of like the after sales team needed to help this team first. So we kind of like, you know, switch role. And um, uh, luckily, you know, enough of people as I mentioned, like, you know, we convinced them to switch role for a year or so. Looking back, how would you describe your entrepreneurship journey? I always think of myself like a mother of mother of team <laughs> because team is, you know, the really the heart. And, um, you know, after two ventures, I know that other, you know, founders probably have exited like more than that, right? But for me, the point where I have exited the, the first one and, joined the second one, um, gave me such um, depth, you know, because it's such a change and, and it's doing everything all over again. How much of the experience can you, you know, bring with you or reuse? How much do you need to learn and adapt to like new things? So the journey is like, I feel like a mother because, you know, in a sense, like I cannot have a child. So that's also the, the you know, kind of like the, I don't know, the woman in me that talking to because like, um, I feel so proud to have the team. 
So that's why, you know, this kind of like instinct comes in, like I have to take care of the team and the team have to take care of the clients. So I'm kind of like the grandmother of the clients. Yeah, so this is the mindset. So this responsibility becomes innate to me. Having said that, um, you know, every day it's, it's not a burden. It's not a thing heavy on my shoulder. It's just like my big family. So every day is a challenge in terms of these things to manage the whole family. We need order. We need principles. We need like, you know, process. So it's a journey of, of change in terms of rotating family member, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's really interesting how you describe your mother of your team, rather your mother of your company, like your, mm-hmm. your brand, right? That shows how you govern uh, your, whole, your whole team. <laughs> Um, and why they they are so loyal um, and so hardworking. For our listeners out there who's not good with change um, and not so adaptive at, at times, um, when life throws some layman's at you, what are uh, the tips from a natural change adapter um, like mm-hmm. yourself? Just leave an open mindset, I would say. Yeah, because change, uh, even you know, while we talk, I think listeners out there. Um, I'm nodding, right? That yeah, change is in- inevitable, and um, just just try to fake it until you are used to it, and it really works. You know, this kind of like is a is a cliche saying, right? For instance, I'm not a salesperson; I'm an introvert person. I actually hate going out, um, you know, being seen, heard among a lot of people. But who will do that in the early days, right? So I have to become the salesperson, I have to like be really smileful when you see clients and talk to them, you know, convince them. Um, so truth be told, I, I faked that, I think for a year and, and something, but then the result came in positive, you know, I could close deals. I am the one who, you know, bring in kind of like the cash cow of the company when we were like, you know, a team of six. And that kind of like strength gave me more power in, in believing myself that I can cope with change. So I think just go out there, do something that you are uncomfortable with every day, you know, something that you are uncomfortable with, touch that every day, just five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. And it was suddenly like, oh my God, now I'm this sponge who receive everything. Yeah. Because when, when I didn't know you, um, we met in Laos, right? Before I knew you, um, I always look at you like you're very extroverted with your hairstyle, with you being out in the media all the time. Um, but when when we really get to talk, I could tell that, oh, you're more introverted. Yeah, and I think it's really impressive how you just switch your modes like that because it's it's really challenging um, for a lot of introverted people. Um, Maybe how- I'll ask, what yeah. do you tell yourself when yeah. you're faking oh, it? Wow. Okay. 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 I'll tell my secret. I have actually a sentence, a token, you know. I talked, I say, say to myself, this too shall pass. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. yeah. Just stick to this, you know, five minutes and take it one minute at a time. You know, go on stage. You're just going to be seen a lot. There's going to be light on your face. You're going to hit it talk slow you know like whatever that you you have practiced and you know that that's your flaw I, I speak way too fast when I you know started and then just take it one minute at a time this too shall pass this minute shall pass and suddenly that 15 minutes or half an hour will pass do you love it that's now it. 
you? Definitely, definitely. Because the more I do, um, you know, I access the parts where I thought I couldn't possibly, you know, be in that character and and perform that actually naturally. And I tell myself every end of the day, I, I need to have like half an hour. I need to cleanse my my emotion. Yeah. If was I what was I faking it? What was it true? Like you know, is this natural thing that I did? You know, and and gradually like, oh my God, that's me. I, I really meant that. You know, so it's important to for you guys and you know myself and everyone to to really mean also what you faked. At least the meaning and the purpose are true. It's just the character. It's just you know, the stage or the scene that you have to take role for your team or take role for your partner. I love it because a lot of times we feel like we're faking it, but if we really look at the purpose and if our intentions are true, it's just the vehicle, the tools that we change, um, depending on the audience, right? Yeah. I love that so much, and I love how you. Share that it's a cycle. You hate it at first, but when you start doing it for a while and you're getting better at it, you're starting to love it because it's a reward system. Mm. Um, and at the end, you would get the best of both worlds. Definitely, I think you you summarize you know very well. Yeah, it's better even. Yeah, myself doing it. Yeah, so thank you so much. See, the audience really benefit. Everybody, you know, Nala and that, uh, they they never talk too much. They they talk the perfect amount. Yeah. <laughs> they are the light in the group at all time, and this is how this is your talent. Yeah, both of you, like you summarize, you see things, yeah, and you grasp and and make it you know easy to understand. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you. We got good materials this time. Yeah, <laughs> I also have to say, making a podcast is um, takati. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, frightening for us as well because it's it like putting ourselves out there, talk about our personal life, putting it into. A material that's go in public and you don't know who's listening to it. So I always get shy when my friend listens to our podcast. But I think coming back to the purpose and why we're doing this, it really is to inspire and give practical advice. Um, thriving, ambitious Asian working women um, who will go out there and be the future leaders of the world. That's really the purpose of the podcast, and that kind of gives us. Keeps keeps us moving, even though it feels weird. <laughs> Beautiful, yeah, definitely. All right, Nat, let's ask the classic questions. Yes, let's oh. do it. So our signature <laughs> question is: If you can tell your younger self a few lessons, can be one, two, three. Uh, what would it be? Some of the skills or some of the character that I have to shake, eradicate. Um, so I would shouldn't have adopted uh, the following skills like we as you know girls you know women in Asia um, in kind of like you know Thai Chinese family. My father is Thai Chinese. My mom is German, but she is very supportive into you know marrying into this you know Thai Chinese family living in Thailand. So my family is always about you know like we have to service the elderly. And to a point where it really kind of like I become timid. I become, especially you know, my character. Having said that, I was kind of like you know, not shy, but I was never shy. But I was introverted, right? So in the end, somehow I lost a lot of my confidence because 
because of that, I became very good in terms of, you know, putting, you know, bringing harmony to the family. But at the end of the day, um, me, myself, I didn't have enough time to kind of like develop this self-esteem, time to be with myself because I was always rewarded when I make other people um, happy and satisfied, right? Because of, I don't know, like this is probably like a very Asian thing too. And because of that, once I grow into this career, um, you know, like life, oh my God, I'm way too shy. I'm way too timid. Like I have much more capability in me. I, I need to show, but oh, that stage is gone. That five minute is gone. That window has passed because I was like sitting around, you know, like, am I, should I, is this the time? Is I, you know, am I interrupting anybody? Yeah. So for people, for, you know, friends out there, you know, sisters or brothers out there, especially in this time, right? Just, just be yourself. It's very confident. Self-esteem is something you rather be a little bit, you know, more esteemed than you should be. Yeah. People can actually call you a little bit brash and then you can tame yourself. It's easier rather than being very tamed and then explode yourself. Oh my God. I took maybe almost like 10 years to bloom, <laughs> you know, to become this to become somebody who could talk about myself, who could, you know, actually talk about something that I fail, talk about something that I'm, that I shy, that I'm shy about uh, out loud in a podcast like this. It took me a probably 10 years. Yeah. I beat around the bush when I was like 25, 26, because I'm, oh, is it appropriate? You know? Yeah. It's a waste of time to be shy and timid. Yeah. Right. And what, uh, what helped you the most in your process of, blooming to um, the confident version of you I never knew but I just I know one thing that I'm I have this thrive to to run a company I, this entrepreneurship in me is, is such a big north star for me I have so much joy putting just myself you know my mindset out there so from a shy person to that you know thriving person it's a must you know for me it's a must if I don't do that, I don't fulfill my purpose. Yeah. I I was like, you know, in a company uh, for a while as an employee. Um, yeah. Nine, doing nine to five jobs um, after I graduated. That was good. I was good at it. Um, but I still know that uh, this is just my experience phase of gathering some experience to do my own business. Yeah. So I think it's that need, that, that instinct in me to kind of like um, do a business yeah so so I assume that when you were working full-time it was still rather a uh, quite timid version of you um how did how did you get that confidence to just start your own venture because I think that's the hardest part right to just yeah. step out and take the leap of faith don't know not mm -hmm. knowing what's going to happen the positive side in, in service business when it started, um, as everybody knows, service business has a low cost. So we actually calculated my, with my co-founder of if we don't um, you know, pay for rent, if we use our condo as, a, as the office, you know, really basic stuff. And then, okay, we, we calculate this and just the two of us, you know, what's the salary? And if we hire one person, what's you know, accumulation of the cost? The one thing that I that I was really happy is like we needed to secure a few clients before we actually we open a company. So we, you know, went ahead and started, you know, doing like our letterhead, business cards, just basics now because we still have to look, do it 
very low cost. And then we went approach clients, uh, even when we were, yeah, yeah 26 when I started. Um, yeah, we have actually a few paying clients already, um, freelancing. Yeah. So once that cash came in, um, we know that they're going to repeat. We started the company. I think uh, the difference between service and product is service. You can start right away with just yourself and your co-founder, right? And yeah. then slowly build up the team from there. Whereas product, you can start with maybe experimenting with the idea and try to test out mm -hmm. your idea through different means before you actually get capital to build it out, right? So everything can can start small, but I guess the important thing is to start somewhere, Yes, exactly, exactly. That's a good summary. Yeah, service just yourself and a computer, and product is is like even even with uh you know like um IT or tech product startup product, it's it's the the tech that we have to invest in. Yeah, so that's like you know, yeah, need a lot of capital. Like the Telescore platform took quite a, a huge uh, capital to invest. I couldn't have done it if I don't have the capital from the first company first. Yeah. So the profit from the first company is the capital for the second company. All right. So the first lesson is to not be timid. Don't be afraid to speak up. Take up some space, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are there any other lessons you would tell your younger self? Because I love the first one so much. Well, other versions are, are just like, you know, kind of like um, to bring yourself always to a positive point every morning yeah at the end of the day it, i i do this this cleansing this reflections yeah it's it's more like you know reflections even if it's five minutes like what did i do today oh i talk loud with that person you know like oh my god maybe i have to call them to say sorry you know i was like too emotional or oh my god i was way too shy in this one i need to like you know like be bigger next time and that's it and never really you know like punish yourself for that yeah a lot of people a lot of women especially like uh, want to be good and they punish themselves yeah I, I see them at the end of the day really you know getting weary and punish themselves no we take that and we just like no emotion just functional points bullet points but in the morning do not you know shake your phones or computer or drink your cup of tea and coffee just look out as far as you can if you, it really reflects the energy but that energy for me is very important. And it's maybe a personal thing. I love nature to go hug a tree and things like that sounds silly, but it really gives me energy to kind of like just walk into. Sometimes I drive three hours to Kauiaina to be there for two hours and come back. It, it really recharge you. I love how you how you have your own ritual in the morning and, and um, before you go to bed. Because I think it's really important to wake up with intention and sleep mm -hmm. with with a clear mind and, and knowing yeah. your whole day was intentional. Yeah. And that, that ritual in the morning is kind of the thing that I add on um, way later. Like I, I think it was 35 already because I used to, every morning I check my email first and this, you know, cloud of noise and, and responsibility. And it doesn't, it's not doing good because you have to carry that emotion for the next eight hours. Yeah. So it's really important just maybe to five minutes to just like be yourself and like, oh, thank you. It's a good day looking out like, yeah, this is my cup of tea and I'm just, just going to enjoy this five minute thinking about nothing. Yeah, just, just indulging. I think it's like 
it it sounds like a small change, but I think scientifically it has been proven that like five to I think half an hour right before you wake up, your brain is like a sponge, right? It's like mm. everything that you consume. So if you like open your social media, if you look at all your problems, that's all you'll be thinking about subconsciously throughout the day. Thank you so much, Kunsuita, uh, for sharing your stories with us today. It was very helpful to learn about your story from being an introvert to now running a company and the challenges you've been through for starting with an SME business and pivoting it to a, a startup company that initially had to burn capital, had to, had to change the whole team, but you managed to survive and take the company to the next level. If this episode resonates with you, we'd like to hear your stories. Talk to us at the YOT Project on Instagram and LinkedIn.